0: It's all about when the message becomes valuable to you and it'll be valuable now because people will have been impacted and they'll go, gosh, I never want to be in a position where I might be out of work for, you know, three to six months and not have enough reserves.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's episode because I am sitting down with my friend, Lizzie Hofer-Irvine, who just happens to be the number one female loan officer in the whole United States of America. So we're going to talk everything housing and housing in a crisis economy. Let's face it, we are facing one of the most unknown crazy economies that any of us have ever experienced. And we don't know the truth about how it's going to unfold. But Lizzie is level-headed. And Lizzie is the expert of all experts when it comes to all things housing and investing, because she's also the creator of the Smart Steps, which teach you financial literacy and when to buy a home. Now, my favorite reason that I'm about to sit down with her is she and I sometimes volley back and forth about how we view homeownership as an investment and when you should buy a home and when it makes sense. And so you're going to get both of our perspectives as we volley back and forth, and it's going to be your job to listen carefully and come up with your own conclusion on what you need to do with your home as we face this crisis economy. But I will tell you, she is the one behind the curtain. She is the one dealing with it every day. And she is the number one female loan officer in the whole US. So she may win this little bout that we are about to have and, and deservedly so. Now, a couple more things you should know about Lizzie. She is self-made. When I say self-made, she was literally homeless in high school for six months. So to go from that to the absolute powerhouse that she is right now, that is one heck of a journey and that journey is going to inspire you. And because of that journey that she's taken, she has a real passion for giving. Matter of fact, she matches my ethos for giving and generosity and the way she gives and the stories that you're going to hear in this episode about how she is giving right now in the face of this crisis economy and who she gives to and why is really going to inspire you to be successful and you to do the same. So if you've got questions about your housing in this economy, if you have questions about rental properties, if you have questions about should you buy or sell or refinance if facing the economy that we are headed into, this is the episode that is going to answer all of that for you from one of the utmost experts. So listen up, get ready, because here we go. Lizzie, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I am super excited and honored to be here.
1: You know what? The honor goes two ways. Um, I said in the intro that you are literally the number one female loan officer in the United States of America. So first of all, congratulations. That's so badass. Second, I'm honored to know you. But the reason I'm really honored is right now, we are facing potentially a crisis economy or at least a recession. And I know on everybody's mind, one of the biggest questions is, what do I do with my housing? And there's literally not a smarter, more inside scoop connected person that I know to ask these questions of. So I'm so excited to dive into that with you.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm pumped to get into it. I'm super passionate about it too. I feel like there's so much mixed info online. Yeah. And it's easy to get confused.
1: It's, you know what's so funny? I, you know, I was about to start rapid fire, but you just brought something up I want to I share. You really have to be careful of where you're getting your information from. And we're speaking to the listeners right now. Be careful where you're getting your information from and do your own critical thinking. Because yesterday, in the same day, I saw two articles. One of them was titled, Go Ahead and List Your Home. We Are Due for a Housing Boom. And it was a Fox article. And the very same day, I saw an article that said that they are expecting 15 million uh, possible mortgage Delinquencies coming up, and you know that there's going to be a great big drop in in home value. So it's funny to me that those articles can exist on the same day, on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. What's your take on that?
0: So um, you have to look at it and in terms of a large picture, right? So fifteen million sounds like a lot, but it also isn't a lot of. It doesn't equate the total number of homeowners in the United States. Yep. like one of the startling statistics that always brings me back to reality is back in the worst time that we'd ever seen in our economy aside from this one um, 30% of homeowners owned their homes free and clear and that was back in the recession right so it reminds me that like 1% of the population was impacted by bad loans and what ended up being the catastrophe that we now know as like all those short sales and foreclosures Really had more to do with people's perception of what was happening with home values versus the reality, and so you saw people doing what they call a strategic foreclosure or um, a short sale, and that is the domino effect that just kept happening. So, you know, is it the 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 number or is it the reality? Right? Because I mean, if you look at how many people are in each state or city, I mean, fifteen million really isn't. That many.
1: Yeah. Okay. So save that because I want to really volley back and forth on this stuff because that is like the juice. And before we do that, I really want my listeners to get to know you because they have to understand how epic of a human being you are. And so we're going to go through rapid fire here really quick before we get into the really juicy stuff so that they can truly learn why I am such a big fan of you and our friendship. So let's start easy. Where'd you grow up?
0: Nogales, Arizona.
1: And where do you live now?
0: Phoenix, Arizona.
1: And what is your favorite quote?
0: Uh, passion changes everything. Mm,
1: I love that. What is one of your superpowers?
0: <laughs> well, I'm extremely competitive. So um, I know that that sounds like a weird superpower, but it drives me like no other. And I've been able to achieve things that I never thought were possible just for the sure sake of competition.
1: I, I love that about you. And you're extremely... Self-disciplined. It's so every time we try and get you to to place a bet in the Elite Mastermind about the goals you want to hit, you're like that does nothing for me because when I decide to do something, I'm competitive with myself and I hit it. And so you, that truly is a superpower of yours. A few more here. What's one of your favorite books?
0: Favorite book: Little Women.
1: <laughs> Good book. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments so far?
0: Well, honestly, the the first time I uh, made the Scotsman's Guide was really huge for me. I'd gotten fired from my job like a year and a half earlier. And I just really wanted to make it because I wanted them to really regret letting me go.
1: Revenge, you got it. I We're like definitely going to circle back around to that one. A couple more here. What's one thing you're challenged by right now?
0: I think that just this overall pressure of the economy, right? This unknown, the number of people that are out of jobs, the number of banks, I mean, this mortgage crisis, I mean, that very few people really understand how tapped out the banking system is right now. Um, These are all fun things I'm dealing with. (laughs) So that's what I'm challenged by.
1: You know, I was in those shoes in 2008, you know, same shoes as you. So I definitely know what you're going through right now. Uh, What is something generous you've done recently?
0: Well, I'm just about to make a $10,000 donation to a local restaurant company in the Valley.
1: While you are facing a crisis economy, I freaking love you for this. We're going to talk so much about generosity. Well done. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today?
0: Well, one, thank you. I mean, I'm super grateful that you're giving me this platform to educate home buyers and homeowners. I mean, it's... It's really an honor. I know you have a huge audience. So this means the world. So I'm very grateful for this.
1: Oh Well, I'm grateful for our friendship. And the reason I wanted to have you on is this. To have a realtor on is too slanted, right? Because their only existence is to create propaganda around buy a home, buy a home, buy a home. Whereas you, you're a neutral party because you can make money whether someone's buying a home or whether someone's refinancing a home or whether it's a investment property or whether it's a commercial property and so on and so on and so on. So you are an expert in the field who has a view from behind the curtain, so to speak, but you're not incentivized to give us a bunch of propaganda only on one side of the thing. On top of that, you're a real critical thinker. So let's start by getting a litmus test of where both you and I stand on this. Now, mine's easy. I think sometimes people pin me down as being anti home ownership and that's not the truth. What I am is I am anti rush out and buy your home and view it as an investment. Because ever since we're little, we're taught what? Rush out, buy a home as soon as you can. It'll be the biggest investment of your lifetime. And I think that is the shittiest advice on the planet. It causes people to buy homes too early. It's not an investment. And when I show people the math uh, and you adjust for inflation, it's nothing more than a place to live. But I am very pro, very pro real estate as an asset. Meaning investment properties, both commercial and residential. So that's where I stand. What? Are, where do you stand on home ownership?
0: Um, well, one, I think that it depends on where you live, right? So there are certain places in the country, like California is one of them, New York's another one, where the cost of owning a home is astronomical. And so it doesn't make economic sense. So um, my personal philosophy is that well, in budgeting, right, that you should live off of 70% of your net take-home income. So and housing should make up 30 to 50% depending on your discretionary income. So that's somewhere between 21 and 35% of your overall net take-home income, right? So if it falls within those guidelines, I think it makes sense to own. I would disagree with you on the fact that it isn't an investment. Um, I think that it's a long-term investment. So a lot of times people buy homes with the assumption that they're gonna you know, make a ton of money on capital gains, which is just the equity in your property. And so oftentimes if you're, if you're buying for those reasons, like house flipping and like a bunch of the people that got into Airbnbs without really being prepared to make the mortgage payment if, they, if something like this happened. Um, yeah, it's a terrible idea. But one of the coolest things about mortgages and just about home ownership is if you view this as a long term investment, there's nothing that you can buy that you can like put so little into that will have like more than a hundred percent return on your initial investment right so a home it appreciates with wherever the constant value of money is right so the home will always appreciate over time. And I'm talking about long periods of time, right? Where 20, the whole itself actually depreciates with the rate of inflation. So you put in money, right? And that money will continue to grow with wherever the constant value of money is, but the loan depreciates. And so like in a market like right now, where you can get an interest rate at... Three percent, roughly, or you know less than three percent if you're doing less than a 30-year fix, you essentially borrow money at zero percent, which is like it's just unheard of, right? because that loan depreciates. So if you had bought in like the worst time in the. US economy, so sometime between like 2008, right, that house that you bought today, depending on the area, but like specifically for Phoenix, is probably worth at least double what you bought it for then.
1: Now, right? like, I, let me stop you right there. That means that you have to have been able to have predicted the bottom and been lucky enough to sell at the to top right before the crash that might be coming up.
0: This was actually as the market was crashing. So the, you were buying at the height of the market. So when it was the worst time to buy historically, 2008, the bottom was 2011, right? If you were to have sold now, right, which I'm talking about 12 years later, the average homeowner owns their home anywhere between seven to 10 years. I think the average is out actually closer to 10 years now, that person would have made money. Right? It's just th- because it it's a long-term investment. The person would have lost money if they sold, you know, two years, four years, right? But I don't think real estate is meant to be a short-term investment. That's why you get a 15, 30, 20 year mortgage, right? So it's a long-term investment.
1: I think that's really good clarity right there, and I would totally agree with you from that standpoint. Is if you are going to call the home you live in an in investment, you better be prepared to stay there for a very long time before you. So, because think about it, you got to recoup realtor's fees, uh, you you know mortgage fees, interest, um, taxes, like everything. Right, you have to recoup all those things. It takes time yeah. to outrun well, I- those things.
0: When you buy a property, you're only paying the cost of buying it. You don't pay the realtor fees then. You pay, and in some cases you weren't even paying your closing costs. In a lot of markets, right up until very recently, it was a buyer's market so most buyers didn't even pay closing costs. They didn't pay commissions. This was all on the seller. So it is something that you would have paid if you sold the property, but then again, if you were selling the property and I mean you definitely had some healthy gains, right? Especially if you bought 2011 to now.
1: So one thing I'm already hearing is this, before we get into like what should the homeowners do in this exact crisis. As an overall theme, what I'm hearing is timing is everything. Yes. And the longer you're willing to give this project, the safer of a bet it is.
0: Same thing with any kind of investment because I do a lot of investing in the stock market too. It's, I mean, I'm not good enough to time the market for capital gains.
1: You know, Yep. Yep. I think that's such good advice and such a good way for people to view uh, getting into any property, quite honestly. Okay. So now here's where I want to go next with this thing. We are unanimous on one thing, and that is we are facing a recession for sure, maybe a crisis economy. Um, Neither you or I can predict the future, but I think it will be to the magnitude of 2008, but it'll look different. In other words, in 2008, we were talking about residential housing, residential housing, residential housing. And I think this one, the theme is going to be retail and commercial, retail and commercial, retail and commercial, and of course, the loss of a lot of entry-level jobs. So what do you think we're facing right now as an upcoming economy?
0: You know, commercial property was a big thing for the last time, but I actually think that there's a lot of help for big industries like that. So I personally don't think that we're going to hear a lot about commercial. I think the last recession made everybody an entrepreneur. I think this recession is going to make everyone an employee again.
1: Oh, interesting. Explain more.
0: Well, I just think that most of the people that are impacted right now are a lot of those entrepreneurial people, unfortunately. So they're all the people with small businesses that didn't have enough liquidity to stay afloat in this time. You know, and I I do think that because of what's happened like right now, we see the dramatic need for innovation. And when there is a dramatic need for innovation, that creates new employment opportunities. And a lot of these places that were self-employed or, you know, these people that were self-employed or that were contractors will then go work for bigger business to then help with this innovation.
1: It's interesting because I totally see what you're saying about uh, small business entrepreneurs getting hammered during this type of thing if they were not well capitalized. But I'm looking at the the sheer numbers of lost jobs and like retail chains that'll never open again, and I don't just mean entry level retail. Think about general managers and upper, you know, higher paid individuals, and restaurant chains that'll never open again. And I think we're going to see a great big shift in both employees and employers saying, wait a minute, I didn't realize just how well we could make this work at home thing happen. Let's shed some, some overhead here of offices. What do you think?
0: I think that most businesses realize how well working from home does not work. I think that it's at least for my business, I'm like, I can't wait for everyone to get into <laughs> the office. It is very difficult to manage a, a large company like this. It just is. Um, I think that it's, I, again, I think that's a, a thing of entrepreneur, and entrepreneurs, right? So they think of, hey, how could I work from home? How could I save more money? I, I do think that in this, because this wasn't anything that was caused by any, any like big economic thing, right? This is a virus. Although I do personally think that there were signs that we were headed into a recession prior to this. Um, I honestly think that it'll look like a big belt. Like I think that we're going to see a huge decline in jobs, a huge decline in like just the overall economy. But I think that there's going to be so much pent up like demand, spending frustration that all of a sudden it's going to boom back up. And even though these restaurant chains will close, right? I think that the bigger, I think this just helps bigger industry. Honestly, I just think that they'll have the capital. It's not like people won't go out you know, there'll just be more chains that open.
1: But what about the trickle-down effect of, let's say general manager at, I don't know, Applebee's. I'm just making shit up right now. So general manager at Applebee's makes 80 grand a year and they close down. And then, uh, actually, let's use a real one. Cheesecake Factory's in trouble. Like they can't even pay their April rent. So let's use them. So general manager at Cheesecake Factory, let's pretend they make 80 grand a year and you know they're in trouble. They may never open again. And then let's say assistant managers there, they make 40, that's not going to open again. All of the servers that make good money on tips, you know, they're going to have to go work somewhere else. The bus boys, everybody. Now take that times all the businesses that are in trouble at the moment. And you and I agree, there was a recession that was right about to happen anyways. This was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Um, imagine all of that loss of job Where do they all go work and how does that affect housing?
0: So here's the thing Um, there's been an undersupply of housing for a long time. We never started building again, Mm -hmm. right? So we were already in a housing shortage nationally. So I don't, and in the last like five recessions, only one had an impact in housing. Actually, all of the rest of them increased housing values. And that's because the cost of rent became more expensive than the cost of home ownership, so I just want to state that I don't think that this is going to have an impact on housing values for the majority of the country.
1: This is fascinating. This is exactly the volley that I was looking for and and by the way, we're inviting you, the listener, to you know make sure you listen to both sides and then do what feels right for you now. Let's remember Lizzie is the number one loan officer in all the United States when it comes to housing, so uh, so, I mean, she is the expert in, and has the behind the curtain view of this thing as we face this upcoming economy. So, let's start. Let's talk to the average homeowner right now. They're seeing all the propaganda on the news. Uh, they're worried about coronavirus. And their questions are things like if I lost my income or if my income was impacted, how can I make my mortgage payment? Uh, they have questions like if I have equity in my home, should I be frantically trying to get to it. They, uh, they have questions like, I was thinking about buying a home. Should I be buying it right now or waiting? So what should the average homeowner be thinking about right now in your opinion?
0: So I think it comes down to, again, budgeting. right? So I think that in any economy, if it's right for your budget, you make that decision because again, it's a long-term investment. right? So it just depends on your budget. So here's what I've told a lot of people. If you don't have a rainy day fund, but you have equity in your property and you know that you're gonna have a COVID-related income issue, then you should look at selling it and not doing a forbearance or a deferment because there's no benefit to delaying the inevitable. Like there's no benefit than not paying your mortgage in three months just to have your mortgage due and then still have all of your bills. Right? I understand you have to live somewhere and we all have emotional attachments to our house, right? But the most Sound economical decision in that case is to sell the asset that you have, pay off all of your debt, get some reserve funds, and go into a rental. That's really good advice. I agree with that. Like, that's just what I truly believe. If you are a homeowner who's been waiting, right, this is probably the best time to purchase and primarily because it's not as competitive. Mm, Explain, right? It has been like bidding more central here, at least in Phoenix, where like a property maybe gets like 6 to 12, maybe 20 different offers on the house. Oh my God. days on the market. Before I know,
1: coronavirus.
0: Before... Yes, it's been... But in lots of cities throughout the country, not just Arizona, but specifically Phoenix. And so if you were looking at getting a better deal or getting more flexible terms, now is the time. So, Because there's a lot of industries that are not impacted by this. In fact, there's a lot of industries that have had gone into overdrive. So yes, there's a lot of people that are unemployed. But again, there are jobs available. You just have to go in and get them, right? And like when one industry closes, a different industry emerges.
1: Mm, I love that. You and I are unanimous on that point. In any shift, while everybody gets paralyzed by the loss, it creates an equal amount of opportunity and you just got to shift where you're looking. And I love your advice. Like, if you are barely making it and you're going to be impacted in this economy um, financially, then grab that equity while you got it, right? It doesn't make sense to keep barely hanging on. Now, you mentioned a forbearance and there's also another uh, something out there called a deferral, right? Could you explain the difference? Because this is really important for people to understand the difference between a forbearance and an actual deferral on your mortgage payments if you're in trouble.
0: Yes. So the CARE Act offers everybody what's called a forbearance. And so a forbearance is just a delayed payment. So it just means that you can skip payments, but that they're all due when you start making your payments again. And that's either all due up in a lump sum, or they modify the payments. And so every single payment now has a couple extra hundred dollars attached to it.
1: Can I stop you right there? So if you were already barely making your mortgage payment, and you get a forbearance, when the music starts up again, now you have an even bigger payment to make.
0: Yes. And a deferment... um, Now, there are some smaller banks offering deferments, and there is some verbiage on some larger banks' websites regarding it. Um, But a deferment is what they do with student loans, which is just they tack on the payments to the very end of the balance and you pay interest on the total balance. Now, here's the obstacle about deferments is I've lived and worked in a time where supposedly short sales and loan modifications and loan assistance was readily available and it would take clients months mm-hmm. if at all to get them approved and accepted. And many people's houses ended up going into foreclosure waiting for that to happen. So because it's not a guaranteed thing and because the websites say, contact us for more <coughs> information, we'll work with you. Um, I just wouldn't go down that road personally. Now, there are some people that listen to this stuff and they just don't want to make their mortgage payment because other people aren't making their mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you that that's the kind of thinking that actually ruins the economy. It's the reason that we had the Great Recession. Like You would be shocked, guys, to know that there's like 120-something million homeowners. Right. So when you said 15 million, yeah, that's a lot. But it's not a lot when you know that there's like 120 million. Yeah, right. I mean, like, so you just have to know that that won't kill the economy. But what will kill the economy is all the people that don't want to pay their mortgage because so and so is not paying their mortgage.
1: That trickle down effect of, well, if my neighbor's not paying, I'm not going to pay. And the trickle down effect, even worse, of if there are a couple of foreclosures and it hurts the home value at the moment hurts your home value to a moment. You say, well, now I owe more on it than it's worth. I'm going to walk away. And that was that trickle down effect that really compounded the problem and threw us into one of the worst recessions ever. Is that a correct statement?
0: 100%. I had a client who bought their home in 2008. They bought it for $220,000. Okay. They ended up short selling the home in 2012. For $160,000. Okay. That home a month ago sold for $400 and something. Th- I was like a little over four forty. dollars
1: So they had a short-term view instead of taking a long-term view on it where they could have made money.
0: I mean, they would have been so much further ahead. And they did what they call a strategic foreclosure. And I'm like, it's crazy to me the amount of people that are willing to sell everything um, because their neighbors are selling everything. And you look at the richest people in the world, like a Warren Buffett, who just does the same dollar cost averaging forever. Mm-hmm. At good markets, bad markets. Like, And he's literally one of the richest self-made people in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not fancy and he's not time to time the market. He's just being a disciplined human that doesn't do what his neighbor does.
1: Let me ask you, do you think there's a chance that all this fear and temporary job loss and uh, coronavirus and all that stuff, is there a chance that that starts another domino effect like in 2008 where your neighbor forecloses so you walk away, then that neighbor forecloses and that neighbor walks away? Could that happen again?
0: Yeah, I mean, anything can happen, truthfully. I mean, the likelihood of it happening though now I don't think is very high. I don't. I don't think. I think it was a lot easier to have happen last time because people were basically subsidizing their lifestyle using their home equity. Yeah. I don't think that people are doing that now. I think people don't want to just walk away from assets, right? Most people have equity in their homes. Most people still have jobs. I know that we heard six million Americans don't have jobs, but again, when you're looking at the real number, majority of us have jobs. I mean, like it's just and and like to be honest they're all getting stimulus checks look not everyone should be a homeowner mm-hmm. that's a fact right but just because the economy it, it, like recessions aren't always negative either mm-hmm. like that's the one thing i know that this one is super scary cuz there's this crazy virus that might kill us that like is causing all this rapid job loss right and it, there's so much uncertainty but Recessions really just keep the cost of goods in a place where most people can afford them.
1: I love what you just said. Although a recession is scary, a recession just pops the bubble because the bubbles are always forming and it actually makes the world affordable. Can you imagine if we never had recessions? I know. The average person would not be able to afford anything.
0: Yeah. There would be no homeowners, there'd be no investors, there'd be no anything. And so like for me, I just get ex- you know I get excited in times like now, just because I am a very disciplined human, and so I've I've been worried a little bit about a recession here for about a year. Just you know, when I was looking at you know the average debt that most people carry in student loans, and um, just the average wages of millennials wasn't very high. Plus, you look at the baby boomers aging and the stress that that's going to have happen. This is going to make me sound like an awful person, but like. Things happen in the world to also correct those types of things.
1: Yeah. No, that's not an awful statement at all. Like, that's the way the world works. Okay. So, let's get back to forbearance versus deferral. You're saying buyer beware. If you get into a forbearance when the music starts up again, you're probably going to have a higher payment type of situation to work through. So, that could be dangerous. Deferral might be a better option, but they take a long time to get. If you're already in financial trouble, And I'm just trying to summarize here. If you're already in financial trouble and you know this is going to be the straw that broke the camel's back, whether you lose a job or your income dips, and you don't have an emergency savings fund, go ahead and sell that home for the equity right now. Are those three statements so far true?
0: 100%.
1: Okay. Love it. So what about refis? Rates are a record... I've never seen 3% rates like this before on 30-year mortgages. Should people be scrambling to refi right now?
0: So again, that also depends on how long you plan on owning the property and how much savings you'll actually have, right? So my rule of thumb is if you're going to be in the home for longer than four years, which when we go into recessions, people live in their houses longer. So there's high likelihood now. And you can save over $200 a month or knock off a significant amount of your term. So like, you know, 10 plus years. You should refinance. I mean it's I mean the amount of savings that we're helping people with right now is crazy. I personally refinance my own home, and I am not one that like really tries to push people to refinance because there's a lot of costs associated with it. the average refinance costs anywhere between three and five thousand dollars depending on where you live and um, so you lose that inequity. Right. So if you're not going to stay there for more than four years, a lot of times you just break even. Mm -hmm. And what's the point of breaking even? Mm -hmm. You know, because you would be, it's better to get $5,000 than to save $200 over time. You don't really feel that.
1: That's where that financial education piece comes in. People get so excited about lowering their payment $200, but they don't realize they're losing maybe five grand worth of refinancing fees and inequity. And so a couple of years from now, it's all wash you didn't get any further ahead but that's the problem is people are making decisions about their homes from a place of uh financial illiteracy and we're going to get I, into that a little bit cuz i know you're really good at teaching that
0: totally and if you think about like you know you could spend $200 on amazon in two clicks yep you know but $5000 is very hard to amass right so also you have to think of that your home equity is like forced savings
1: This is why I love you, by the way. You could make money right now by getting on this giant platform and saying, refi, 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 record rates. And you're not. You're saying, I don't encourage everyone to do that. Because a lot of times, it's just trading a penny for a penny over the course of a couple of years. Your integrity is freaking outstanding. Okay. So refinancing, give me a a bottom line. If someone's like, wait a minute, should I refinance right now before the recession? And I'm hearing about these great rates. What is your bottom line statement to that person?
0: So you have to save two hundred or more dollars, right, a month, and then be in the home for longer than four years, or drop your mortgage term.
1: I love that. What a great rule of thumb. And should people be afraid of their home values? Meaning, if they waited six months, are the comps going to be worse? Or if they wait nine months, are the comps going to be worse? And some of that equity might temporarily not be there.
0: Here's the thing, right? I think that. Um, if we end up with any short-term reduction, it's short term. But like think about if you ever wanted to buy a property in New York, right? Now's probably the time yep. or in California. Our home values are gonna go straight up. Absolutely. So it's just like, you know, it's the same with stocks. Like sometimes I'm like, woof, they're on sale.
1: You I know. know. I've been buying like a madman lately. Dollar cost averaging on the way down each day. Okay, so let's talk about what you just brought up. Uh, and that is investment properties. Because we so far, all we've talked about is the average homeowner what should they be doing with their home? You know, if they're in trouble, how should they be viewing it? Now let's talk about the people that say in every recession, there's great opportunity born. And one of the best opportunities is housing oftentimes becomes way more affordable temporarily. And that could be a great time to get into investment housing. So talk to me about that. Who should be considering that?
0: So. So again, this is real investing. So it's not like your minimum downs; it's twenty plus percent. You have to have lots of reserves, right? All those people that bought a property, planning to Airbnb it, and they put very little into it. Right now, they're really hurting because their tenants aren't paying. They have no no future occupants, right? And so, like, they probably shouldn't have been investors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, for me, I always look at cash flow number one, like will the property cash flow? Um, and I always look at in my worst case scenario, what could I rent this for at the bottom and what could I rent this for at the top? So, like, I actually own an Airbnb right now. And in the first three months, it made me $9,000. But my worst case scenario was that this property rents at $1,400 because it's near the university, mm-hmm. right? When this all happened, I just rented it out to a long term renter. I so didn't even try to Airbnb it again. Yeah, you mm-hmm.
1: shifted and you, you said something's better than going for the home run.
0: 100%, right? Because I know that in this market, I'm not going to make my full return, mm-hmm. right? But I also own that property free and clear, mm-hmm. right? And I have tons of flexibility to be able to maneuver. And no matter what, that property will cash flow. So it's either making a huge return or it's making me a little return, but it's making returns.
1: So, if the average person has always been told, you know, hey, get into rental properties, you know, buy a duplex, buy a house, rent it out, it's a great way to help um, enhance your retirement down the road. One of the windows of opportunity is coming up. How should they have their affairs in order? Is there a rule of thumb? Like I think I heard you say, make sure you got 20% down plus six six months reserves. Please explain to them what that is.
0: So it's extra mortgage payments in the bank.
1: Yep. Six months of mortgage payments that have to stay in the bank after you're 20% down.
0: Yep. And then I probably would have at least 25% of whatever the rent that you're going to collect for 12 months. I would have that in an account for maintenance.
1: Mm. Okay. That's really good advice. When they go to give that loan, will they count the potential rental income or... Do you have to qualify for it on your current income?
0: So typically, um, so guidelines are changing around this. So it used to be that you were able to count the future rents. If you have history of collecting rents, we'll allow you to use it. Um, If you don't, we'll allow you to offset the payment.
1: Mm, Okay. So not everybody should be foaming at the mouth right now saying, this is an opportunity for me to go get a rental home. It's a serious undertaking. More serious than people tend to make it on HGTV.
0: Yeah. Oh God, yeah. I mean, look, if you can afford it, absolutely right now there's gonna be really great opportunities to purchase. And this is probably where you're gonna see a high in rents. One, because there was already a housing shortage, right? And because in recessions, people go gravitate towards renting. Yeah. So this is where you're gonna get prime rent.
1: That's awesome. Okay, so good opportunity a good opportunity coming up for the people that have 20% down plus six months' reserves, plus 25% 25% of the total year's rent in an account for maintenance. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. You are crushing it with these very clear guidelines so far. I'm loving it. Now I want to shift a little bit because you are the creator of the smart steps. And by the way, the way that you teach financial literacy on Instagram is to die for. Everybody needs to tune in. Um, so Hey, shout out your, your Instagram. Is it Lindsay Lizzie Irvine or is it Lizzie? Yes. Okay. I don't know if it's Hofer Irvine on there or not.
0: Lizzie Lizzie Irvine. All
1: right. All right. So go follow Lizzie at, at Lizzie Irvine on Instagram. She kicks out videos around these smart steps that if you only tuned into her, you would be financially adept at doing very well in life. I can promise you that. So here's what I want to ask you about. What are the smart steps and why did you create them?
0: So I wanted a good roadmap to educate people on when they should purchase and not just based on what they could qualify for. Because people would come and they'd be like, well, I don't know, tell me what I qualify for and then that's what I'll buy. And I always just thought, well, that's a really interesting take on purchasing You know, if this is really your largest asset and not your largest liability.
1: So wait, I want to clarify right there. This is so important for people to realize. Just because the bank says you qualify for this size of a mortgage, doesn't mean it's smart financially for you to enter into that. Yes. Okay.
0: So, in order for, because Big people's biggest fear is, am I going to be house poor? Mm-hmm. And so, knowing if you're house poor has a lot more to do with your spending, right, than anything else, which is actually why we start the smart steps with a budget and we concentrate, the S stands for spending, mm-hmm. right? And we look at how we can make a lifestyle budget out of seventy percent of your net take-home income. Right, that's really the magic number. And sometimes the biggest thing that I get is, "Well, that's impossible. I don't make enough money to even survive." And that's when you have to figure out how to make more money. And I know that that sounds, you know, kind of ruthless. But the thing is, it's true. Yeah, like ruthless, can... I love it. Well, I get it. And you know it's weird? I get so much flack about it on the internet. Like, People are like, Oh, it's easy for you to say. But I am somebody that came from literally nothing. My mom worked two jobs. One was at a water mart. Guys, you know the little place where you fill up your water gallons? That's what was my mom's weekend job. And so I had a job um, playing in a mariachi band. Most no of my way! Life. And I gave all of that money to my household. So I know what it's like to be scrappy.
1: Oh my God. That's amazing. I didn't know that about you.
0: Yeah. And when I first started in mortgages too, I was like a, the worst salesperson ever. I had to apply at QT at nighttime. Oh my god, So gosh. I could have a net. But I, but I would never be too good to just have a second hustle. And there just wouldn't be an excuse that prevented me from figuring out how to make more money.
1: So you're saying some people don't have a budget problem. They have a freaking income earning problem.
0: Absolutely. And so when you can't... The control the first controllable is spending. Second controllable is streams of income, like what you're making.
1: This is so good. Okay. And smart is S M A R T. Walk me through it. Yep.
0: Yes. So, so it's spending, making assets next, right? So what you own. So I always preach that you need to have a minimum six months worth of a reserve fund in your account. Funny story six is that months a lot worth
1: of household expenses,
0: of your lifestyle expenses, okay. your whole lifestyle budget six months. And I get a lot of flack for this because everyone's like, oh, that's too much. That money is sitting there and it's dying. Oh, of no. And then something like COVID hits and, you, and the people that were prepared have three months and you know that that's not going to be enough.
1: Lizzie, this is where you and I are so locked arms and it drives me crazy. And we're going to offend a couple people and I don't care because we're either going to push you away as a listener or we're going to change your life as a listener. Please listen to what she's saying. If you have a problem with somebody's guidance being to make sure you have at least six months worth of total lifestyle expenses in reserves before you go out there and, and make a bunch of dumb purchases, then you really need to get your financial mind right.
0: A hundred percent. And it's times like these or the time that your air conditioner broke, yep. right? Where three months just wouldn't be enough. Right. Um, so and then once you have that, then it's focusing on your reductions in debt, right? And or if you have no reductions it's then it goes into returns, right? So what are you investing in that's going to pay a dividend, going to cash flow, it's going to return money, right? How can your money make money? Right? And then we look at timing. So like overall like how long do you plan on owning everything? How long have you been enacting the plan year to date? Are you going up or down?
1: Where can people like dig into smart more and where can they do a little bit more work around this?
0: So, I put a lot of it on Instagram and I actually just started a private Facebook group that we're, I've I've been growing the list for the last couple of weeks. So, we're actually launching it this week. So, I'm very excited.
1: Okay. And what's it? uh, Where can they find it once you launch it?
0: It's on Facebook. And so, most of the links are on all of my um, social media. We'll
1: make sure. Okay. So, go to Lizzie Irvine on Instagram, the links will be there. Otherwise, we will be sure to put the link to the smart uh, group, a uh, smart Facebook group, uh, in the show notes without a doubt. Now, I want to really walk people through this example of what you're recommending. So, mom and dad both work, and mm-hmm. they both have you know average jobs in America in an average okay. town. And so, let's say their take-home paychecks. Because I really want to be clear, when you said everyone should live on seventy percent of their net paychecks. I want people to understand that's not your gross. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar salary, it's not saying seventy percent of your hundred thousand dollar salary, it's saying seventy percent of your take home, your net, right?
0: So the average income in America is somewhere around
1: sixty grand a uh,
0: sixty-eight thousand dollars, right? Okay. Is the average household. So that means that those people are taking home anywhere between fifty-two to fifty-four thousand dollars.
1: Okay. So when you say take home, you mean after taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Just want to be crystal clear for everybody. So let's say uh, they're taking home $5,000 a month after taxes. Okay. And you're saying they should live on 70% of that. So that's $3,500 a month when you add up their car payments, their house payments, their food, their everything. Their spending, is that correct? Yep.
0: $3,500.
1: Okay. Love this recommendation. Now, what percentage of the $5,000 a month or of this $3,500 should be the actual house or rent payment.
0: So um, it'll be as low as a thousand dollars, and then, I mean, as high as like seventeen fifty.
1: Okay, as high. So as- it
0: depends on their discretionary spending, so their automobile payments, the how much they eat out, their utility bills, things of that nature.
1: But what you're saying is half of the seventy percent is the max, the max they should spend on their mortgage payment or their rent payment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that case, this is a really good guide for people. So guys, what I want you to do is I want you to take your, your take-home paycheck and I want you to figure out what that is a month. So if you get paid biweekly, you know, take it times two, take that number times 70% and that is what you have to create your budget out of. And when you've got that number, that 70% number, I want you to cut it in half. And that is the number that your maximum house payment or rent payment should be. That's such an easy guide to follow. So they follow that guide. They're going to what? Dance off into the sunset and be rich.
0: Well, I mean, if they follow the guide, they'll have a really good retirement. You know, because um, if their net home take home is five thousand, right? The guide says twenty percent should go to paying off debt. So thousand dollars will go towards paying off debt. But then once they don't have any debt, right? Like, I mean, they literally have. I mean, fifteen hundred dollars a month to go towards investments, savings. You know, their four hundred and one ks. I mean, how many people can you say are investing that way?
1: Yeah, sadly, like, not enough. And you
0: know, anything about like how money accelerates, but every ten years it doubles.
1: Yep.
0: Right, and so like, if you did a minimum of, let's say, a thousand dollars a month, right? So if you did twelve thousand dollars, right, times Ten right, so over ten years you'd have one hundred and twenty. But if it doubled, right, you'd have two hundred and forty thousand dollars if that was invested. And it
1: doubles because of the compounding interest. Just want to yes. clarify. So right. by you it, by you saving thousand dollars a month, every ten years it turns into two forty, and then four eighty, and then. 9, but but you've got another
0: ten years, right? Two forty compounds twice, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is how people get wealthy over time. Is it going to make them rich overnight? Heck, no. Right, but I mean, like I see people's finances all the time. Let me tell you, very few of them have two hundred and forty thousand dollars saved. Wow! In retirement.
1: So when I was when I was in mortgage lending, when I was in banking, I remember one thing that shocked me was seeing the overall picture of people's finances. Uh, What would you say the overall picture of the average person in America looks like right now financially?
0: I think there's a lot of statistics on this. Actually, I would say like 80% of them barely have any money in the reserves. I think it was like they had less than $1,000 or something like that.
1: So what's that going to mean for our future as they scramble to buy homes, as they scramble to retire, as we all start aging out, as the baby boomers um, you know, say, peace, I'm out of here? What's that going to look like for our financial future? And how do we change it for the better?
0: You know, the one positive thing that comes out of recessions is that people spend less and they realize the importance of savings. So, like, while I've been talking about all of these principles, literally, to, I mean, this last year of my life, I feel like I've been preaching this nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, it never had good context, right? Like, it's not like this didn't make a ton of sense, mm-hmm. it's just that it didn't make sense yet. Right. The same thing with Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is one of the best speakers on finances there is. He just became more relevant now.
1: Mm. Yep. It, all of a sudden, there was more urgency around listening.
0: Yes. Right. It's all about when the message becomes valuable to you. And it'll be valuable now because people will have been impacted and they'll go, gosh, I never want to be in a position where I might be out of work for, you know, three to six months mm-hmm. and not have enough reserves.
1: Mm. You know, One of the reasons why we're so passionate about talking about money here and encouraging people to make the right money moves and helping them to increase their earnings the way you and I were very blunt with them earlier is because we know at the core, when good people make good money, they do right things. And that is one ethos that you and I totally share. This ethos for giving and generosity is one of the reasons I love you so much. And so my first question is, who are you passionate about supporting right now? I know you said you're just going to give $10,000 to the local restaurant association. I know well, that you've given to Lunch much. On Me, our friend Lorea. Tell, what are you passionate about supporting right now?
0: Um, so, I mean, I'm a big pay it forward person. So um, I there's a big restaurant chain, like a bunch of really great restaurants have come out of the Phoenix area. And I know that all of them are you know, hurting. So right now I'm going to... And plus, it's been like a terrible time just in general with all the loan changes and just... We haven't given the kind of service that I feel proud about. So I'm going to buy all my clients a $50 gift card to go order takeout, which will help a bunch of things. right? So I'm always positive about paying it forward to the people that help you. Um, I'm also going to do $5,000 towards mortgage assistance for people in my community. I mean, it depends on the time. right? This just seems like the most urgent thing to do. Um, but I'm, I'm always really passionate about helping those causes that have personally impacted my life. You know, I, like most people don't know, but my brother and I were homeless for six months in high school. I lived in a Motel 6. So that's why Lunch on Me was so important. Um, you know, I paid back my college scholarship. I mean, I've given to foster homes. You know, there's, you know, look, if you're successful in the world, you either inherited it or you've... Uh, you've endured in some kind. And so like for me, it's just, I give back to all of those things that I've personally overcome and people who've helped me along the way.
1: I love that. And it's easy to see why it's so important to you. I mean, the fact that you were homeless in high school for six months, um, it and, and now you have this ability to give, it makes sense why you want to help unlock uh, the futures of other people who might be in the exact same position. Mm. Do you have a favorite moment of giving of all the times that you've given? Do you have a favorite moment?
0: I do. Um, So I had a lady who had been married for 30 plus years. I mean, maybe longer, maybe 40 years. And um, her husband had just died and he did all the finances. And um, she was trying to scrap by every single penny. And she didn't have enough money to move herself. Like, literally, every penny was going towards buying this house. So, um, I ended up getting her a bunch of things that she needed for the house and then paying for her movers. But she ended up being like quite possibly one of the most grateful people I have ever met. And she, like, literally to this day, if I ever do anything in the world, she's like the first person to comment on it. She sends me a letter every Christmas, like, she just really cares. And then, I there was another lady that. Um, we we ended up helping kind of similarly, and she ended up like being the first person to own a home, and then she bought in an area that wasn't dangerous. So then her kids went on to go to college. Then she went on to go to college, and like that whole like ability to be a homeowner actually changed the whole lineage, her whole lineage, like yeah. the trajectory of her whole family. So there are things like that. I mean, you know, giving money is. Is the easy thing to do nowadays, yeah. You know, um, but the really like just getting in and knowing about people's stories. I think that's that's what changes you.
1: I love that you are such a special soul. So where can we find you? Where should we follow you? We already said go follow her at Lizzie Irvine. That's L I Z Y one Z Lizzie Irvine on Instagram. Where else?
0: Um, I am on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. Everything is public. It's all Lizzie Hofer, pretty much which is not easy to spell. So we need
1: to get all of your branding under one name.
0: <laughs> so, well, you know what's funny? The Instagram was my personal Instagram and I used my married name because I never... And like Lizzie Hofer was already taken, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> well, we're just going to have to fix all that. All right. So they can find you at all those places. We'll put links in the show notes. So if you uh, have trouble finding her, definitely go to the show notes. Links to find Lizzie are there. Lizzie, before I let you go, my very last question is this. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success.
0: God, because you can't take care of anyone else until you take care of yourself.
1: Wow. Short and sweet and probably one of the most accurate statements ever. I couldn't agree more. That's the whole purpose of this show. Lizzie, thank you for being on. You helped to solidify the purpose of the show. and You gave so much good knowledge in a time of crisis right now as to how people should calm down, how they should think. I love your idea of you know getting them to think long-term and not make abrupt short-term moves. And I feel like if I'm a homeowner listening, I've got a really good idea of what my options are thanks to you. So I can't thank you enough for your time.
0: Oh, thank you. It was seriously an honor.